Today is the 13th of January, 2015, and this is episode 178. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. What cryptocurrency enables is new, empowering, and exciting, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. This is Stephanie Murphy for Let's Talk Bitcoin with a special report today. And I've got Julia Brave the World Toriansky on the line from New York City with me. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. I don't mean to make light of this occasion because this is serious as a heart attack. You are in New York City and I'm talking to you today because you're doing some activism in preparation for what could be probably one of the most important court cases or trials of our lifetimes. And that's not an exaggeration, and probably everybody who's been paying attention to Bitcoin knows what I'm talking about. It's, of course, the trial of Ross Ulbricht. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's been going on with the case and why you're there right now? The trial begins on January 13th, Tuesday. So that's this upcoming Tuesday at 9 a.m. And it's at 500 Pearl Street in New York. It's getting serious. People don't understand how serious it is because they think that this is, oh, it's whatever, some guy who ran some website, who cares? But this is allegedly, right? Some guy allegedly ran some website that allegedly did some stuff. Big deal. But what this trial intends to do, if they sentence this man, which is uh, he could go to jail for 30 years to life in prison, that opens the floodgates for loads of oppressive bad law, especially to do with internet. So things like transferred intent liability. So transferred intent basically means that if somebody uses your platform to do something illegal, the platform owner is liable to be prosecuted for those people's actions. So this logic, what I like to say is, if a guy is selling drugs on the street, on public sidewalks, should we be able to sue the government because the government built the sidewalks? And by their own logic, then you probably should, because it's the exact same principle that they're trying to uh, apply to Ross there. Let's just back up for a moment here, in case you have been living under a rock for the past year and aren't familiar with this case. Ross Ulbricht is the person who is accused of allegedly running the Silk Road, the original Silk Road marketplace, which was an online platform where people sold things that may or may not be illegal, including drugs is one of the things that was allegedly sold there. You know, because Ross is being accused of being the operator or owner of this website where other people were selling certain things, some of which the government may not like, he is facing a very harsh punishment and sentence for that. And he's been pretty much vilified in the media. And I think as a result, a lot of the publicity surrounding this case, I think a lot of people are thinking of it in their own minds as, well, this young man is potentially an alleged drug dealer. And why should I care about this case? But what you're saying is the reason that you're there, and by the way, you came from Canada, so you've uh, traveled a long way to be here. This case has broader implications beyond just the future of one man's life. This is actually about free speech. This is about internet freedom. And it's about a lot of different things that people may not be aware of, right? Yes. And it's already happening. The government is already infringing 
on our rights. And there was recently a case with FedEx where there was some people sending pharmaceuticals from Canada into America, and it's not legal to do so. And FedEx said, oh, well, okay, give us a list of suspects and we'll have a look into it. Instead, the government just served them an order and they're going to have to be, you know, there, there's a court case going on with that as well. So this and is not even people selling ecstasy on the Silk Road. This is like blood pressure medications from Canada where FedEx is getting dragged into the middle of it. Basically, they want uh, companies to monitor their customers because by that logic, again, we should sue the post office because people send hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cocaine and pot through the post office. They are not subject to their own laws. So ultimately, they want censorship. What happens when companies are held liable for their customers' actions, whether it's websites, website hosts, uh, anything on the internet, you know, uh, any platform, maybe like Twitter, or Facebook, anything. If they're going to start being held liable for their users' actions and words online and even offline, like I just mentioned with FedEx, they're going to start censoring us because they don't want to be in trouble. And then that leads to self-censorship. We're going to be personally fearing for our freedom because we could be persecuted directly for things we may or may not say or do online. So we're going to self-censor. And just like with the whole Snowden mentality now, blow up. And what happened with that is, you know, we're being watched. So we're not sincere anymore. We hold back on what we would normally say and on our actions because we fear because we know someone's watching us. And now it's extending to not only we know the government's watching us, we know these companies are going to be censoring and watching us. And then we're going to be watching ourselves. And where does that leave us? This is about platforms and what those platforms are used for. I think most people, in a very general sense, think of platforms as just tools. You know, they're, they're places where people can gather and negotiate their own agreements and deals and business relationships and things like that. A platform, as you said before, could be something like a sidewalk, just a place where people can maybe happen upon each other, interact or something like that. Or a platform could be a website or a IRC chat or a place online. I guess what the government is trying to do is hold the proprietors of different platforms accountable for what their users do, which is, as you said, very difficult to do without a massive level of censorship. Could you argue that this is already happening? I mean, if you look at the terms of service for Coinbase or something like that, or even the terms exactly. of service for, for eBay, uh, do you think this is, this is a battle it's that's already been lost? It's already happening, and that ties in well uh, and nicely with Bitcoin. So if, if some entity like Bitstamp, just because they've been in the news recently, is held liable for things that people may or may not purchase with the Bitcoin that goes through that website, even more censorship. So that ties in nicely with why people in Bitcoin should really care. But it is already happening. And, you know, I was lucky enough to get free tickets to go see Cabaret. And if no one's familiar, it's, it's an old school musical. It's really wonderful. There's so many parallels drawn with this musical and what's going on. I was just watching it and I had this catharsis. Our own reality was happening with the case with Silk Road. And, the, and if you're not familiar, Cabaret, it's about Germany during the time where the Nazis got into power. And it follows, you know, young people partying in Berlin and they're working and a lot of it is very raunchy and sexual and 
it progresses from this kind of fun stage play. And there's a narrator, the MC, and he guides you through the narrative. And the narrative slowly goes from this kind of sexual, fun, raunchy story to praise Hitler and kill all the Jews. It goes very dark. And at the end, the MC, who uh, slowly becomes part of this whole narrative and this acceptance of violence and this pacification of the masses into accepting this new narrative of their country. And at the end, they all die because they're sexual perverts or homosexual, all of this stuff. So what's the lesson there? The lesson is the MC is the narrative. That's the government. That's the state. It's people who work. It's yeah, it's the media, it's people who are the state, it's the cops, it's the judges, it's the jury, it's everybody participating in this. And they accept it. And guess what? At the end, they're going to be sent to the camps as well. So it's happening. Some people may say it's an extreme conclusion to draw, but the way that it happens, it's the same way every time. It's the same way every time. And if people think they're going to be exempted from the violence and exempted from being prosecuted... You're wrong and you need to participate in what's happening in America. I need to participate in what's happening worldwide with the censorship and the restriction on our freedoms. And it starts with big trials like this because we close our eyes to these events. We don't think it's a big deal. It's okay if this happens. It'll blow over. No, it's not going to blow over. It snowballs. It's look at history. It always snowballs and becomes worse. It brings to mind that poem by Pastor Martin Niemöller, of course, that you were talking about Germany, World War II era. And he said something like, well, first they came for the this group, the trade unionists, and I wasn't a trade unionist, so I didn't stand up. And then they came for the homosexuals, and I wasn't a homosexual, so I didn't stand up. And by the time they came for me, there was no one left to stand up for me. And right. that is just such a piece of wisdom that I think we can really carry forward into today, because there are a lot of people who probably hear about this case and don't think anything much of it. So big deal, this guy may be going to prison. Well, it's his fault. He took a risk. If he was the actual owner of the Silk Road, then he brought it upon himself. They probably, you know, kind of deflect the blame onto uh, Ross, potentially. And then they dismiss it and don't think much of it. But as you said, it really could have implications, not only for free speech online, but also for the way that property is defined in U.S. law. There could be a lot of different precedents that could come out of this that will really affect people's freedoms and their lives. So what I've been saying is, uh, if you're going to think of this as anything, this is the simplest way to put it. They are testing the waters, okay? They're testing the waters and they're seeing if there's any resistance to what they're trying to do. If there's no resistance, if we don't give them a storm, if we just stay passive in like these lukewarm statist waters close our eyes and send somebody who, even if he is who they say he is, actually didn't do anything wrong directly. Indirectly, that could be highly arguable. If we start to send people like that to prison on the state's whim in an unfair trial, most, most people consider this to be quite unfair. We are setting our own standard in this country. We are setting our own standard don't complain next time you're being held liable for something ludicrous and nobody shows up because you didn't show up either. Let's talk about the fairness of the trial. <laughs> I'm laughing here, not because it's funny, but because it's, it makes me so uncomfortable. You know, growing up in America, you're taught that 
this is the fairest system in the world and everybody gets a fair trial. You're innocent until proven guilty and you have the right to face your accuser. And if someone gets convicted of a crime, they are guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt and the justice has been served. Well, in this case, the judge has allowed motions from the prosecutor, as I understand it, and I'm definitely not a legal expert of any kind, but as I understand it, the judge has allowed the government to basically stack the deck against Ross Ulbricht by not allowing his attorneys to mention his political beliefs in the court. So they can't talk about the fairness or unfairness of the drug war, which is very relevant to this case. They are not being allowed to mention how much potential jail time he is facing or prison time he is facing for the jury. So it's conceivable that the jury could say, oh, well, maybe he'll go to jail for a couple of years and learn his lesson. But potentially they're sending a young man to prison for the rest of his life. He's 30 years old. They're not allowed to mention the sentence that he's facing. They're not allowed to bring up a lot of different evidence. Uh, there was a motion a while ago, I think that was made by Ross's attorneys saying, well, you know, the IRS has said that Bitcoin is not money. And the Department of Justice or some other branch of the government says that it is money. So which is it? And is he really able to be charged with money laundering? They basically said, well, it's money for our purposes. And yes, we can charge him with whatever we want. Ross was, I think, initially charged with murder for hire. I'm not too familiar with legal term, but there was four counts. Mm -hmm. That's how I've heard it phrased. There's four counts of murder for hire. Not, there's no bodies, no grieving families, nothing, mm -hmm. nothing. So it seems like it was a specifically slanderous thing to bring up so that his character would be vilified and people, he won't get support. And he wasn't indicted on any of it. And they're right. allowed to bring it up in trial. Yes, thank you. That was what I was trying to get out was, yeah, yeah he was not indicted on these charges. And, but they are still allowed to talk about that in the courtroom to, you know, potentially have an influence on the jury. But yet they can't talk about something as simple as his political beliefs, his beliefs right. about the drug war. It's just a mockery. Anyone who it, still believes that we have this fair system of justice and that the courts are blind justice administering the law in the most fair and unbiased, objective way, that is just totally not true. The deck is stacked against him. And I'm scared to see what's going to happen to him because I really feel bad for him. I'm really scared. It feels like his future has been decided before he even got a trial. It feels things have been orchestrated against him specifically to slander him and to like, he also wasn't allowed to do his discovery until the very last minute. So he's, he's supposed to be working on the case with his defense and he wasn't allowed to, he wasn't given his computer to do his discovery until the very last minute. And wow. just, and you know, that's, that's not by accident. No. You know, I've heard things like he's not given, and while he's doing the discovery, he's not being fed, and just ridiculous things. Maybe that's a rumor, but I've just heard all, I've heard from different people. If you care at all about freedom or about just the idea of justice, look into this case for yourself. What you'll see is that this is not in the interest of fairness and justice. And I, I don't care what you think about the drug war. I don't care if you think that Ross is a terrible person. I don't care if you think that he's DPR. I don't care. The important thing is that you care about the outcome of this trial. Because when you do start caring, 
It's going to be when you're being targeted and that will happen and it'll be too late. So you need to have some, you know, self-preservation here. And if you live in New York, come and show up, show up. I mean, I don't want to sound like hippy dippy or anything like that, but if we have people outside who support him, there's a catharsis for him. There's um, visible, emotional people who truly believe in standing up for this person's rights. Don't underestimate the power of that. And that means, you know, we'll get more mainstream media covering it. The right people will be outside to give them sound bites. This is important. If the prosecution is confident and feels like Ross has no support, they're going to do their job a lot better than if they have all of these people rallied outside wanting justice for this case. It makes a difference. It's really important not to underestimate the court of public opinion, which is very important here. It's true. When there is support for somebody who's facing charges such as this, it can really do a lot for their morale and it can do a lot for changing the narrative. And it's not illegal to express an opinion yet. So (laughs) if you're able to to express your opinion in, in whatever way that works for you, however that means to you, maybe it's posting something online. Maybe it's showing up, maybe it's uh, doing outreach, maybe it's talking to a few friends, maybe it's talking about it on your radio show or podcast or something like that. Whatever it means to you, it's important to let your voice be heard if you do have an opinion about this. And if you're worried, come show up. We have gotten a little bit of donations from the community and from anonymous individuals. We will help you with a little bit of food costs. We will help you find accommodation. We will help you with travel. Reach out to us. How would people do that if they want to come and help out? Because this trial, this trial is actually expected to go on for at least a month. A month. Yeah, exactly. So the best way would be if you have Twitter, the easiest way is to, you know, tweet at Brave the World or at Bitcoin Bell, who is being the, the main figure in organizing this. She's done a lot of really awesome work and got everything together and she knows the community and We're basically doing this, the two of us, with the help of the people who have come forward to want to help us. At Brave the World or at Bitcoin Bell, tweet at us if you're serious, and we'll go from there. If you don't have Twitter, email me, bravetheworld.com, or at uh, bitcoinbell at gmail.com as well. And it's just spelled as it sounds, Bitcoin Bell with two L's at gmail.com that's like that's the most direct route okay b-e-l-l-e or b yeah okay b-e-l-l-e this episode of let's talk bitcoin is brought to you by cryptokit.com the easiest fastest way to send bitcoins right from your browser that's k-r-y-p-t-o-k-i-t.com if you'd like to learn more Today's magic word is Ross. That's R-O-S-S. Ross. You've got until the 17th of January to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iPhone app and enter it for your share of the listener awards. Quick announcement. The sponsorship system will be live on Saturday, the 17th of January. You'll visit letstalkbitcoin.com, click the sponsor option in the top menu, and get access to a variety of sponsorship and advertisement options throughout the network. In addition to whatever specific tokens are accepted, like Bitcoin or our sponsor tokens, all items listed in the system will have an LTB coin price. It's our first test of what I call attractor pegs, where through relative pricing, we recognize more value in LTB coin than the market does and see what the market does kind of in response. 
People who want to maximize what their value gets them in the system are incentivized to use their Bitcoin to buy LTB coin and then spend the LTB coin with us instead of Bitcoin, creating demand for LTB coin where to this point, our ecosystem has been one of one big faucet and really no sinks. There will be an entire episode very soon devoted to exploring the projects and tools we're building with Tokenly, which as I've mentioned before, I'm just ridiculously excited about. But that's all I can tell you for today. Let's rejoin Stephanie and Julia now. For those who want to help with the Legal Defense Fund, there is a Legal Defense Fund at freeross.org. And of course, they do take Bitcoin contributions. If that's something that interests you, you can help Ross's family with their legal costs because... They're going to rack up. (laughs) Yeah, I've been so inspired by what Lynn Albrecht has been doing, Ross's mother. She's been on the road for the last year trying to drum up Mm -hmm. support and spread awareness about what's been happening to her son. And she's really become a firebrand of an activist and... Uh, it's just really inspiring to see that. I, I hope if I ever face any kind of legal trouble, that my mother would do that for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to have your child ripped away from you. I mean, oh, he's horrifying. a man, but he's her child. So let's talk about the drug war. We've touched on it before, but you know, uh, you you had said something, Julia, about well, regardless of what your thoughts are on the drug war, this case has broader reaching implications. I think we should at least talk about the drug war itself and how honestly unfair it is. The idea people shouldn't be allowed to put certain chemicals in their own bodies, their bodies that they own, that they control. You could say your body is really the one thing that you have full dominion over. You are in the driver's seat. You're in, you're the captain of your own ship. And when somebody else tells you, no, you can't do that with your body. That is a fundamental human right that's being violated. Personally, drugs and alcohol, not my thing. I don't even drink alcohol, okay? I like caffeine, but that's about it. (laughs) But I can see the human issue in here and the idea that people do own their own bodies. And when they choose to ingest chemicals or in the case of marijuana, which is coming crumbling down around the state as the public support just totally demolishes for any kind of enforcement of marijuana laws, the policy, I guess, is finally catching up to public opinion where that's been for 40 freaking years. In the case of marijuana, a flower bud that you're putting in your body, and people are regularly beat up and thrown in cages, jail cells for it, fined large amounts of money, had their property stolen, searched, all for a victimless so-called crime. The drug war forms the basis for other egregious violations of civil liberties, Violations of the Fourth Amendment, the whole you you can be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. Well, the drug war has been the basis for countless unreasonable searches and seizures of property. These uh, asset forfeiture laws where cops will search somebody's car, for instance, and find some amount of marijuana or other drugs, or they find cash, not even drugs. They just find a, quote, suspicious amount of cash. And they can charge the cash with a crime and then keep it. And in a lot of cases, there's been corruption where the police departments will actually keep that from themselves and not report what they found. This is also part of the criminalization of cash. There's so many other civil liberties violations, drug testing, you know, you have to give us a sample of your bodily fluids so we can determine if you've been putting these chemicals in your body. It's just, it's gone to insane levels and I can't wait for it to end. Not only that, but the Silk Road is a way that 
a lot of people found out about Bitcoin. Julia, I think you found out about Bitcoin that way initially. <laughs> uh, and maybe. Also, <laughs> you may or may not have found out about Bitcoin. I may, yeah, I may not even know what Silk Road is right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I, I mean, so it's introduced people to Bitcoin. But not only that, there have been academic studies that were done on the Silk Road showing that it decreased the amount of violence in the drug trade. And right. so I mean, this you, is you what can I wanted to say, right? Yeah, it's intuitive. Beautiful dialogue about the evils of the drug war. And then what, what's the cherry on top? Some dude or a group of people make a website that's like, oh, now you don't have to be violated on the streets or be exposed to harm or violence. And you can just like literally send somebody some whatever you made at home or grew at home and they'll send you some money. No one's hurt. (laughs) Fake internet money. That is what they're so scared of. They're so scared of us being outside of their system and outside of their grasp. Mm. This is why this is such a big deal as well. They're killing a couple of birds with one stone here. The government would love to control people in any way that it can possibly get away with. And controlling not only what they uh, choose to put in their bodies and potentially how they recreate or whatever but also controlling uh, whether their property can be searched at any moment at the drop of a hat, whether they can be subject to testing and enforcement, whether they can have probable cause to stop people on the, on the streets. You know, New York and Philadelphia have these stop and frisk procedures where it's largely young, black or Hispanic males that get targeted and uh, frisked and put in jail and beat up by the police at a disproportionate rate. This just needs to stop. It's not in accordance with human freedom. It's not how fellow humans should treat one another, just on a very fundamental level. When you have a platform like the Silk Road that allows people to avoid being exposed to robbery and potentially getting beat up or harmed in some street corner somewhere trying to obtain their substances of choice that are made illegal by the government, when you have instead the ability for them to order those through the mail online. <laughs> it's no contest. Of course, the, of course, the Silk Road decreased violence. Of course, it made people safer. At the end of the day, I know Ross Ulbricht is alleged to have run the Silk Road, but if he did it, then he's a hero. Oh, yeah. If, he helped if a lot he's of DPR, he's a, he's a total hero in my eyes. Total hero. Revolutionary, brave soul. If it is him, he's, he risked a huge price to pay and my heart goes out to him. It really, really does. And being here and being part of all of this and trying to organize even just anything to help him or to change the narrative, that's the main thing, right? To escape from being part of the stage of gradual, casual oppression by the media that is like the lapdog of the state and by the state itself. That's what we want to escape. I don't know how much we can affect. I can't, you know, I'm I'm not saying, oh, you show up and you change the result of the trial. I'm not saying that, but they're testing the waters. And if you don't care, fine, but don't complain in five years when you can't write anything on the internet anymore or when you can't participate on platforms or buy things online without worrying what you may be suspected of. Don't complain if you did nothing. Can we talk a little bit more about jury nullification? Is that an issue that's come up since you've been sort of on the ground in New York doing activism? Because there is this idea in America of the right of jurors to basically judge the law as well as the facts of the case. And this is sometimes referred to as jury nullification. It's described in the Magna Carta, as I understand it. It's not really like a constitutional principle, but it's just a basic 
age-old right. Not that something being old makes it a right or anything like that, but yeah, I know it's been around for a while. King has 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 some quotes on it. It's like it's a pretty old concept, and it's supported by some very admirable individuals. And I've really learned about it more in depth recently. So jury nullification is the idea that if you are on a jury, and if you know, basically, if you've heard the evidence and you believe the person who is being tried is guilty, that they have technically violated the law, even if they are guilty by all the evidence, you can still vote not guilty, you can say not guilty, and you can hang a jury if you're the only one to do this, by the way. You can vote not guilty if you disagree with the law itself. And this was used during alcohol prohibition where, yep, people were caught red-handed drinking alcohol during the 1920s and prohibition era, and they were acquitted by juries. You know, the jury didn't agree with prohibition. This was used when the Fugitive Slave Act was in place, which required people that if there was a an African-American slave that had escaped from their master and you saw him running across the field, you had to turn him in. And uh, people violated that law. They got acquitted of that as well. So this has been used during some times in history where there were just bad laws, what we would consider today to be bad laws. But at the time, that was the law. Some people have this mentality of, well, the law is the law. Even if you disagree with it, you got to follow it. And I guess I can see that perspective. I don't agree with it. But if you're on a jury, you can vote your conscience. You don't have to say someone is guilty if you really do disagree with the law. And you could compare the modern-day drug war to alcohol prohibition. It's exactly the same concept. Certain substances that people use as drugs are prohibited by law. If you don't agree with those laws, you don't have to say that the person who maybe violated them, even red-handed, is guilty. I hope that people who are called for jury duty bother to research their rights. And I think they don't because it's this, you know, headache for most people and most well, people don't care. And Unfortunately, the, the attorneys, the prosecuting attorneys, really know how to stack the deck with jurors who are not informed about those rights. And yeah, because I know they get to vote. And I know that the defense, they select 10 and then the prosecution selects six. But then the judge ultimately selects out of that pool of people. So my fear for this trial is... They get, you know, people who are much older, who don't, never even heard of Bitcoin and don't really care about internet rights and are a bit more conservative in terms of drug use. And like you said earlier, they'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, he probably, you know, ran this website and he, you know, people sold drugs on the website. He needs to learn his lesson, maybe like five years or something. And then lo and behold, they're sentencing a 30-year-old dude to life in prison for transferred intent. And then they're like, oh, what did we just do? We didn't, you know? Mm. So that's my fear. That is my fear. And that they don't know their rights. Most people don't know their very basic rights. Most people can't even, don't even know what the amendments are. They don't, they can't recite them. You know, it's just, it's a sad state of affairs. I'm afraid it's not going to be looking good for Ross. I do think people could have the power to change that, especially if there's a focused effort, and I think there is, on educating jurors about their rights. Not just jurors, but everybody who maybe passes by and sees a message. Because you can't actually go to a courthouse and try to find out who the jurors are and then attempt to influence them in some way. That's No, not- of course not. And that wouldn't be good for anyone because, no. let's say, he was a terrible person or something, and then we were saying how he needs to be put away, and people are influencing the jury in the other direction. Like, But there is... I, I agree but- with that law, 
Yeah, but there is the potential for if there's like just a big billboard outside the courthouse or something that says, hey, do you know your rights? If you ever get called for jury duty, you can judge the law as well as the facts of the case. Check out um, the American Jury Institute or uh, FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association, or just, you know, Google jury nullification and figure out what your rights are. There has been an effort just in the past few months, not because of this case, because of a lot of cases that uh, there's been some high profile important cases in the last few years and people, they're organizing, they're organizing organizations that are focused on this. They've been doing some efforts just generally in terms of educating people about journalification. If that has any snowball effect towards Ross's trial, Ultimately, more people that know their rights, that's a better chance of getting jurors that know their rights. That's the baseline. I know there's an ad campaign going on right now. I don't know if you've seen these billboards, Julia, but I've I've heard that there are some full-size advertisements on the sidewalk near the courthouse that say something about jurors' rights and tell people to Google jury nullification or something like that. Have you seen those? When I was there, I did not see that. Um, I've been very, like, I've just been focused on this specific trial. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been participating in any of that. When we do show up, I hope there is a group of people who are doing that. I just, you know, there's only so many tasks that we can accomplish here as a team. So hopefully more than one group of people come out and show support. And to be frank, I've been a little bit disappointed. There's people in the activist community who get paid to do this work and some of them aren't even showing up. So I've had very up and down, you know, one minute I'm very happy for the support and happy that there's other groups of people who we've had nothing to do with who are doing their own thing that could possibly help everybody in the grand scheme of things. And then there's us and I don't know, I hope that made sense. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I'm kind of feeling concerned that you or some of the other people there might feel burned out because, you know, if you don't get the support that you're looking for, or if you're the only one who's standing out there in the cold with a sign, then it can be a little discouraging. And especially if the case turns out to have a a negative outcome, and then you've spent all your time and money kind of trying to help it. and, And what was that all for? And so I hope people who are listening do give you support in whatever way that means to them, whether it's just sending you an encouraging note or donating or sharing your videos or doing their own activism themselves, whatever it takes. I hope you get the support that will help keep you going. And if you're far away and all this fine, go on my YouTube channel. It's my last video that I uploaded that really sums up the grand impact and scheme of this trial. It's a Brave the World channel on YouTube. So if you just like backslash Brave the World channel, it should come up. So what's your game plan? Like, are you going to be standing outside of the courthouse with signs during the week when the trial is going on. Tell me about a little bit about what you're planning to do to try to raise awareness among the general public. We're basically the Ross Ulbricht crew. Like we are concentrating (laughs) on him and this trial. So we have different groups of people. Some people are doing video work, just covering it, making sure we get everything on film that's going on. And also that gives it publicity. We have people sitting in the courtroom seeing how it goes down, taking notes. Some people have press passes so they can, you know, utilize that. That's important to be actually present there. So in terms of the catharsis, you know, showing the support, like sending uh, your support to Ross, sending your support to the defense, showing that there's people there and then there's like an accumulated energy of goodwill. That's important. 
I mean, some people will be there out of just curiosity, but it makes a difference that they're there. And yeah, then we it, have it makes other a difference. people with, yeah. It will make a difference have, to Ross, I'm sure. Like, he'll remember who showed up and supported if, him because, if, yeah. If he's in high spirits, yeah. you know, the whole team will perform better. You know, when you walk into, you have an important business meeting or an interview and somebody just says something horrible to you right beforehand or something bad happens, your attitude and your vibe and your mental state is night and day to if you woke up and you had support and people send you goodwill. It makes a huge difference. And anybody that does business or has done interviews or even just showing up to work, you know what I'm talking about. This is just times a hundred in a grand scale. Just showing up to a trial. Journalists do it all the time. People do it who have an interest in the case in whatever way all the time. You're not going to get arrested if you go to a trial and just sit there quietly and, you know, just observe what happens. And they're supposed to be open to the public, right? That's the whole point of a trial. So, right. And that's the other angle. We have groups of people are going to be doing science today to spark awareness, to spark interest, to change the narrative, like we've been saying over and over again. When the media does show up, they'll catch that on film and they'll give the other side of the story from our narrative, not from the mainstream slander, but from our narrative. That will raise eyebrows and that will raise, I hate saying raise awareness, but lack of a better term. People will see it on mainstream TV and maybe more people will come out and maybe it'll pique their interest. Maybe they'll do some research, see this interview, see that interview, read that article, and they'll realize like, damn, maybe this is going to affect me. Maybe I should like get off my butt and do something too. Maybe you should get off your butt. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) I like that phrasing. Okay. So, Julia, I know we're coming to a close here. Is there anything else you want to add or talk about that we didn't cover so far before we give all the information about how people can get involved if that's something they want to do? I think we covered almost everything. If you do show up, my advice to you, just for everyone's safety and well-being, if there is, you know, security there, etc., uh, conduct yourselves above reproach so the state and the media has to elevate their own behavior. Be respectful and be better than them because we are better than them. And don't let anyone bully you and know your rights. One more time, how people can get involved if they're interested. You mentioned Twitter, your YouTube channel, and any other ways that people can get in touch with you. Yeah, let me just repeat all of it. Bitcoin, Bell, B-E-L-L-E, together, at gmail.com. If you want to volunteer, if you want to come down and do any of these roles that I've described, we will help you with food. We will help organize accommodation. We will help with travel, depending on what you can offer and what value you bring. Bitcoin, Bell, at gmail.com, B-E-L-L-E. And just to Um, clarify, that's someone else's email address. That's not your personal one. That's not mine, but this is the the main wonderful activist, Michelle Seven, who is basically leading the organization of what we're trying to accomplish here. You can also get her at, if you tweet at her, she's very active on Twitter. If you forget the email or whatever, at Bitcoin Bell. That's easy too. You can tweet at me at Brave the World, and you can email me through my website, bravetheworld.com. Uh, of course, there's you know ways to donate to your efforts as well as ways to donate to Ross's Legal Defense Fund. Uh, his is at freeross.org, and your donation information will be available if people get in touch with you on Twitter or through your YouTube channel. It's linked on your video about this coverage of the trial. 
So you can donate straight to Ross's fund, which will help cover, like, I think it's costing them 30000 a week, okay, oh for gosh. defense. Yeah, wow. so you can send money direct to, directly to them. And if you want to help us cover costs for volunteers, transportation, food, etc., Bitcoin Bell has an address right on her, like where the info is on her Twitter account. And if you see the video on my channel, Brave the World channel, there's an address there too at the end of the video that you can donate to. So you're up to you, whatever you want to contribute to, it's fine. It all helps. Thanks for listening to episode 178 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode was provided by Stephanie and Julia. Music for today's episode was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. This episode was edited by Adam B. Levine. See you next time.